All right, today uh, we're going to be taking a break from our series in the book of John, uh, even though we've got like one chapter left, because this uh, today kicks off Advent as we look forward to Christmas. Uh, and so it's kind of this exciting time. The next four Sundays will be kind of focusing on the different points of what Advent represents uh, with hope, peace, love, joy, uh, and then the return of Christ. I'm just realizing right now we forgot to get out the candles uh, and light them as well. So next week we'll have to light two, um, and, and I apologize for that. Uh, if you're not familiar with the word Advent, it's something we've been doing as a church um, for the past, well, since we launched. The, the word Advent comes from Latin, the Adventus, uh, which means coming, and it uh, has to represent the anticipation uh, or waiting for Christmas to arrive. And so uh, we're kind of in that season right now. Uh, Thanksgiving's over, so uh, who has not started decorating? Do you wait longer? Anybody? A couple people start. Is anybody like, I'm done, everything's up? Okay, so there's like a whole spectrum for, for our family, like it, it kind of revolves around the week of Thanksgiving, like we can start the week of, but not, not too much sooner than that, but all of the decoration uh, and the preparation all adds to this anticipation for Christmas. Uh, the trees are up, the lights are up, the, the town starts doing it, there's this, uh, the season uh, that's here. Um, and, and all of this fun and tradition, the songs, the time with family, friends, and church uh, is all about to celebrate and recognize the birth of Jesus Christ. And so uh, Advent is all about the anticipation of Christmas Day. Uh, and it's something that we celebrate because it reminds us of a couple of things. Uh, first, looking into the past, uh, there was an anticipation and a desire for the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, so the nation of Israel is waiting for hundreds and thousands of years for the Messiah to come. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit this morning. Uh, and so that's part of Advent. But then the other aspect of Advent is for us today, not just the excitement as we head towards uh, you know, December 25th and we do our Advent calendars and all those things, uh, but also the uh, hope, and, and today's topic is hope, that we have and we look forward to Jesus' second Advent, his second return uh, as he is coming again. And so uh, we celebrate Advent in order to bring uh, those two things together. Uh, let's pray, uh, and then we're going to get into, uh, we're going to start off in Genesis, actually, and then jump around a bit this morning. So, uh, Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, we thank you uh, for this season, uh, the fact that we can be intentional uh, to have anticipation and looking forward to the hope that Christmas represents. Uh, in your birth, here on earth, uh, in order to live a sinless life, uh, in order to offer it up as a sacrifice in our place, that you might redeem us to yourself, uh, to restore the, and reconcile the relationship with mankind that was broken by sin and shame. Uh, Father, as we look to this today and the topic of hope, uh, I pray that you would guide our hearts uh, as we examine these scriptures. Uh, as we look at having hope and as we look at what to do while we're hoping for things that are not here yet, uh, I pray that you would guide this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as I mentioned before, uh, kind of the first advent was that waiting and anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. Uh, this prophecy about the coming Messiah actually took place at the very beginning of the Bible, right after the fall of Adam and Eve. And so you have Adam and Eve who are living a perfect life. They are without sin until they disobey the one rule that God had, is not to eat of the life or the tree of the life of 
uh, knowledge. Uh, but they did that, and so that sin entered into the world uh, through them and then was her- inherited to the rest of us. Uh, but right after that is where this prophecy comes in, and this prophecy is pointing forward to the arrival of the Messiah, and it's the beginning of hope. Because at this point, mankind is sitting there thinking, all right, we, we just kind of messed these things up for forever. And God comes in with this passage in verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And this is God talking to Satan here, who was the tempter, who was the deceiver that deceived Eve into partaking of that fruit, and then she shared it with her husband. Uh, And so he is speaking about this hostility here between her offspring, uh, representing the coming church and uh, everything like that. Uh, And then Jesus will strike the serpent or Satan's head, uh, and even though that his heel will be struck, and we find that that's what happened at the cross. So here's this first prophecy that began the anticipation and hope. So, so here we have Adam and Eve who are now kicked out of the garden. Uh, they begin to start a family. They've got Cain and Abel, and then you have the first murder right then and there. Uh, then Cain runs away, and we just go through the book of Genesis, and we can just see um, the devil. Uh, the, the, Mankind, mankind falls apart um, and, and sin and all of these things. And so this verse, this reconciliation, this um, Messiah coming would have been something uh, that would have had a lot of hope. But also through that, there was a number of other prophecies that took place. Uh, and these prophecies were treasured with great hope and anticipation, uh, especially during darker times within their history. Uh, whether there were slaves in Egypt wandering the desert, uh, Assyrians and exiles with the Babylonians, uh, oppressed by Rome, controlled and occupied. Uh, and one of the passages was in Isaiah chapter 61. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair, and they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify him. It's this passage that was fulfilled when Jesus came to earth, began his earthly ministry, uh, and got up within a synagogue and actually read this and said, this is now fulfilled within your hearing of the proclaiming the Lord's favor, um, to comfort those who mourn, liberty to the captives, freedom to the prisoners. And and all of this is what they were looking for and hoping for. Uh, But when you look back at some of these different things, and again, we're talking about hope this morning. Uh, but I want to look at it from a different perspective. Uh, in past years, we're looking at hope and, and how we need to hold on to hope um, during times that are hard and times that are difficult. And we're looking forward to what Christ is doing and it gives us an anchor. Uh, but I also want to look at it from another perspective because while we're hoping and waiting for something to come and we're waiting for something to arrive, it matters what our heart attitude and our mindset is while we're hoping and while we're waiting. 
Because Israel was like waiting for this promised Messiah to come. All these things within Isaiah and Genesis and the rest of the book of the prophets, even the foreshadowings within Psalms, were all leading to hope for that nation of Israel. But, but even as they had that hope, much of their suffering within their history happened because of a lack of patience, even though they had hope. They took things into their own hands. So you think through some of these different things. You have Abraham uh, and Sarah, who the Messiah was prophesied by God to, to come through their lineage. They didn't have any children at the time. And God's saying, like, okay, we're going to save all nations through your children. Uh, and Abraham and Sarah are like, cool, this is great. And so now they have this promise and they have this hope that they've been hearing about and, and pointing forward to. Uh, and so what happens within that? Well, as some time goes by, they still have this hope, but they lose patience in waiting for God to provide it in his timing. And so they take things into their own hands, uh, and they try to produce a child through Sarah's servant, uh, resulting in Ishmael, uh, which then also in the future resulted in many different conflicts between the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of the son that was promised by God. And so it's the suffering. Even though they had hope, they had the hope of the Messiah coming through Abraham. They took things into their own hands. They weren't patient, and it resulted in suffering and some dark times uh, within their country or their nation. Another example uh, was this hope of a promised land, right? And so they're in Egypt, and they're going to be heading out of Egypt, and there's this land flowing with milk and honey. Uh, and so they're heading towards that, and they're kind of walking through the desert, and they've got this wonderful manna that's kind of falling out of the sky. And they saw the armies of Pharaoh destroyed behind them in the Red Sea, and there's this burning pillar of fire and smoke and God's doing all these cool things as they travel this distance over a matter of a month or so uh, to head towards the promised land. Uh, they get there and, and they've been having this hope of this land flowing with milk and honey. They get there, they send spies out into the land. The spies come back. Joshua and Caleb, two of the spies that were named, they're like, all right, this is the promise. This is what we've been hoping for. Let's go. But the rest of the spies in Numbers 13, we find that they come back and they're afraid of the people are there. They're like, yeah, flowing with milk and honey. It would be great to live there. This is what we've been hoping for. They're too big and scary. And so we don't want to mess with it. And, and in that, they almost rejected the hope. Like they were still hoping for it, but they rejected God's provision of granting them that hope. Because of that, again, the nation of Israel ended up suffering as they wandered in the desert for 40 years for that generation of people that had rejected that uh, to pass away. Uh, and then Joshua and Caleb helped to lead the nation uh, into there. And so we can look at this again and again and again and again throughout the, the uh, history of Israel that there's so many times where God says, I will defend you, I will protect you, I will provide for you. And the nation of Israel or kings do other things. They go and hire soldiers from another country. They, they do all kinds of stuff that then results within more suffering uh, that God does use to grow them. But it's all based on hope. They're all hoping for something. Abraham's hoping for that son. Didn't have the patience. Didn't have the right heart 
uh, attitude or mindset in order to wait with patience and trust in these things. Much of this happened because people didn't trust that God would do what he said that they would do. Or perhaps uh, this is what takes place within Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, where it says, hope delayed makes the heart sick, or hope deferred makes the heart sick. And so there's an aspect of that, like having this hope and holding on to it, but sometimes when it seems to take forever, there's this temptation to do things within our own strength, um, to make our own decisions, or possibly uh, stop waiting. This lack of hope leads to either being passive or trusting in something else. And it's not just constrained to Israel within the Old Testament either, uh, but also within the New Testament and the disciples themselves. Now, we've been going through John chapter 20 as we, in our series in John. And as John chapter 20 uh, wraps up, we have the account of doubting Thomas, right? And so Jesus kind of appears to all the disciples. Uh, they didn't believe Mary when she said that he was raised from the dead. Uh, he appears in that room and they begin to believe, but Thomas still doesn't believe uh, until Jesus shows up at another time and he says, like, here, you know, feel the imprint within my hands and, the, the, you know, within my side. And then Thomas kind of believes uh, at this point. But I think doubting Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes because all of the disciples were doubting at some point. In fact, many of them head off, went back to their vocation of fishing. They're like, okay, like, we don't know exactly what's going on. Uh, and so they had this doubt about what was happening and what was going on in this, uh, even though throughout his ministry, Jesus time and time and time again told them that, that he must suffer, that he must die, that he'll be raised in three days that this is the whole purpose of the Messiah coming. You look uh, at all of the different miracles that Jesus did as he walked the earth. He walked on water, demonstrating his ability of power and authority over creation. Like there's a storm in the boat, and he just says to the wind and the waves, be still, and they obey him. He shows his authority over the spiritual by casting out demons with just a word. Like all of this has been demonstrated to the disciples throughout all of Jesus' ministry. And yet, when it came to this point and their entire hope in him being the Messiah, and something happened where they didn't expect it because they didn't expect the Messiah to be the sacrificial lamb, their hope became deferred. And they didn't know what was going on. And so that temptation came in. Do we go back to fishing? Do we believe that he's raised from the dead or not? And again, this is all based on they doubted the promises that Jesus made that he would do what he said they would do. Even though they saw him fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy uh, in Luke where we, uh, from Isaiah, we paraphrased it before. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the, Lord's, uh, the year of the Lord's favor. Rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, Today as you listen, the scripture has been fulfilled. And we see as Jesus went through his ministry, he proclaimed release to the captives, and it was those who were captive to sin. By proclaiming forgiveness of grace and mercy through the gospel and through his coming death. We find him giving recovery of sight to the blind, both those who are physically blind, sometimes by spitting into the dirt and making mud, putting it on their eyes, but also to many who were spiritually blind, blinded by sin, and their eyes were open to see him as the Messiah. 
He set free those that were oppressed by sin and desires and death. And he proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor by proclaiming the freedom from sin and eternal life that was granted through his death and his resurrections. Again, it was demonstrated in casting out of demons, healing the sick, forgiving sin, and raising dead. And yet, they struggled. They had the hope that he was the Messiah, and yet they struggled at times. And if Israel, as a nation, and the apostles struggled with doubt or lack of hope at times, uh, we may also find ourselves doing that as well. We have many different things that we put hope in uh, here on earth. Some of them uh, are just based on our preferences, like the Packers may finally turn around this season. I think it's a hollow hope. But that's a hope based on something here and now in the natural. And if we put too much stock and too much uh, weight on or trusting in too many hopes that are of this world, they fall short and we become... um, Our world gets shaky because we've been leaning on those things uh, too much. Yet, at times now, as as a church and as Christians, we put our hope in a bunch of other things as well that are spiritual and eternal. The hope that Jesus is coming back. We proclaim this every time at Advent. Jesus is coming back. The, The wickedness that we see in the world, this is all temporary and it will be gone. That is our hope. And is a hope that anchors us and helps us to get through difficulties. And yet, at times, it might be difficult in the midst of a dark season or bad things happening to really hold on to that hope. Or sometimes maybe it just seems that, is he ever coming back? Like, we know he's coming back. Is it 10 generations from now? Is it tomorrow? And that delay we can have the same effect that it had upon uh, the apostles, even though theirs was much shorter. We've been waiting 2,000 years since Jesus said that he's coming back. Maybe we doubt the provision of God sometimes, like the Israelites did. Matthew chapter 6, 33 says, Seek first the kingdom, and all these other things will be added to you. He takes care of the sparrows and the lilies of the field. How much more will he take care of us? But how many? So that's a hope that we have. But yet times become difficult, finances become difficult, and it can be easy for doubt to creep in. Uh, Either we get tired of hoping, uh, or again, this doubt happens. Perhaps it's with healing. Again, darkness in our world. And perhaps we placed our hope on the wrong thing. You know, we assume that God's going to make us rich when we say he's going to provide for us. Or we assume that God uh, will make our lives be comfortable and easy With no problems whatsoever because we're blessed and that's our hope. We are blessed, but if we are taking it into places that God hasn't necessarily promised, our hopes will be dashed at times and this disappointment will come in. Those types of hopes will never be satisfied and will always be shallow. But then what's the answer? I think we find the answer back in Proverbs chapter 13 verse 12 where it says, Hope delayed makes the heart sick. But the verse finishes by saying, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now we look at this proverb and we see a couple of different things in it. I think that the easiest thing to kind of see is like when we're hoping for something and it arrives, we have joy, right? And so uh, within pregnancy, you got nine months of hope and waiting for the baby to come. The baby comes and 
all right, we have joy that the child is here now and you're not pregnant anymore after nine months of that. Um, other things, Christmas coming. You know, we have this anticipation as we're waiting for Christmas. It's going to get here. Uh, we'll have joy over those things. The number of different things within our life, maybe we're saving up for something, maybe vacation is coming, maybe we haven't seen family in a long time, and we're hoping to be able to do that, uh, and then it finally gets there, uh, and then it becomes that source of joy. So that's one aspect of this verse, where it says, hope delayed makes the heart sick, or hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. But I think the other deeper meaning within this passage is that if we only look to what we hope for and do not have, if we only look to that, only look to what we don't have and what we're waiting for to come, it will cause our heart to be sick. Because then we're never happy. We're never satisfied. We're never content with what we do have. Because we're always looking to what we don't have. And the attitude can creep in where things will be better once Jesus comes back. Things would be better if our finances were different. Things would be better if this, if that, if this, if that. If we moved to this city, if we had a different job, whatever it might be. If the hopes that we have, if we only look at hopes, and it's not wrong to have hopes. But if we only look at that and say, well, I don't have that it will make our heart to be sick. But if we find our desires fulfilled, they are a tree of life. What this verse is also telling us is that we need to remind ourselves of what is fulfilled and to find that tree of life, that source of joy within us. We sang it within a song earlier this morning. Emmanuel God with us. We're looking at hope with Advent for the coming of Jesus to come again, but he's here with us. There's this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 17, he talks about us being one and him being one, and we're one with one another. There's this aspect of him walking with us, that he would never uh, abandon us. That The fact that we have God with us, that he wants us to call him Abba. Daddy. That Jesus says he calls us friends and no longer servants. That we have a relationship with the God who spoke all things into existence. So that no matter what we face or what we go through, we can walk through it with him in the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. We can focus on promises. We can have hopes for things that are happening in the future. But we can't do is say, oh, well, I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back. Everything will be better if that happens. Everything will be better if he answers this prayer, or if I get this healing, or he provides this money. Everything, what he's calling us to do is to have hope and to pray and ask for those things and to anticipate his return. But as we do that, we're all along walking with him saying, okay, we're on our journey to that together. We get to walk through this together. I get to trust you in each of these things. And so we need to shift our focus to not just be on hope or unfulfilled promises or the delay, but we're called to trust the Lord's timing, to shift our primary desire to that which we already have. Again, it's good to have hope, 
But where the source of life is, where the source of joy is, is the desires that are fulfilled. What we already have. The relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to point to Psalm chapter 27 this morning. Because I think it's a good example uh, of somebody as David, who is a man after God's own heart, um, was doing this within his life. Uh, this was at a time uh, where he was being kind of oppressed and hunted down by, by Saul or his son. One of those, one of those two circumstances. David was hunted a lot of times within his life. Uh, and he had a lot of difficulty. And so this is during one of those difficult times where, uh, again, what was David promised? You're going to be king, right? And so David had that hope. I'm going to be king. I've been anointed to be king. God is guiding me to be king. I'm going to be king. This is my hope. There is how many times, uh, at least two different times, where Saul was like sleeping right there in the same cave that David was hiding out in. And yet, what did David do in that moment? I'm not going to raise my hand against God's anointed. I'm going to trust God for the timing within these things. He, he didn't fall into the temptation of his hope being deferred, making his heart sick. He still held on to the hope, but he walked with God as he did it. Didn't take things into his own hand within that particular season of his life. So he's in the midst of difficulty. Uh, he has this hope uh, of his kingdom, but as he's in his difficulty and he's being chased, this is what he writes. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, when my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell, though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though war breaks out against me, I will still be confident." He literally had an army surrounding him at times. Again, his hope was to be king. But this is where he is highlighting walking with the Lord. The Lord is my light and salvation. Why should I be afraid? Why should I let doubt come into this hope? Why should I let my heart be sick based on this seeming like it's not panning out? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? He continues on in verse 4. He says, I've asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. I, like He's declaring, this is what I ask. He's not declaring in this moment, like, okay, God, uh, can you give me permission to put this spear through Saul's head while he's sleeping here? Or, or, or could you just take care of him? I asked God to, to guide him. He asked God for, for vengeance, but he trusts him in the timing. He's like, could you schedule this next Tuesday? Because I'd like to get into this kingship thing soon. The thing that he's asking is, and what he desires, is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. He didn't even know how long that would be. He's just saying, I want to dwell with God. This is my desires fulfilled. This is where I find life. This is where I find joy. Let me spend the time with Him in the house of the Lord every day of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in the temple. Verse 5, 
For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. And then my high will be head above my enemies all around me. And I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. I, I love the order that he has within these passages. Because we tend sometimes to like to make deals with God. Like, like okay, if you help me in this situation... I'm going to praise you. If you fulfill this promise, then I can live in such a way that brings you glory. And what David is saying is, while I'm being hunted, while an army's after me, I'm seeking to dwell within your house, to gaze upon your beauty, to seek you in the temple. I'm going to trust you. That's it. There's no deal like God fix this first so that I can do this easier. Uh, verse 7, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandoned me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord, and lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. This was his attitude in a very difficult situation. And I really love Psalms 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. That's a verse that I kind of keep in my back pocket. So, so when somebody comes up to me and they're like, I'm just praying and I'm waiting for God to give me an answer. And, and I just, you know, whether it's a verse or a dream or whatever it is, like I just want him to speak to me. I'll be like, you know what? I think he wants you to go to Psalm 27, 14. Like, just wait. Be patient. And wait. But again, it says, let your heart be courageous. This waiting is meant to be courageous and in community and communion with God. In a really intimate relationship with him. That's what causes his heart to be courageous here. If his only hope, if the only thing that David looked at was the kingship. And he constantly lamented how he didn't have it yet. I believe that his heart would have grown sick, that he would have tried to take things into his own hands, as he did at other times within his life, and then problems followed those things. But this is an example. It's specifically within uh, Saul and, and David waiting to be king um, that he followed this. And I think this is what we need to look at when we look at hope as well. It's a great thing to have hope. Hope is what anchors us. Hope is the promise uh, of the things that are difficult within this life that we struggle with are simply temporary. The aches and pains within our body, the, the tragedies that happen within this world, the struggle with sin, uh, difficult relationships, like, like all of these different things are simply temporary because Jesus is coming back and he will make all things new and we'll have resurrected bodies. And sin and death will be no more. We hold on to that hope as we face difficulty. But we can't only hold on to the hope. 
we have to remind ourselves that he's walking with us here and now. That regardless of what we face, we face it with Jesus. That he is guiding us and helping us and granting us power through the Holy Spirit. We need to have hope. But as we hope, the way that we hope matters as well. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. Uh, Thank you uh, for Christmas season, uh, this Advent season, and how it points to anticipation for things. Uh, It is great to have anticipation, and I believe that anticipation actually helps to make our enjoyment of the thing fulfilled even greater when it comes. But Lord, also help us to uh, realize that we can't just hope and look to the future as being the ultimate solution for all things. Because you've also promised that you're with us here and now. That you came to give life and to give life to the fullest. To be able to walk with the Holy Spirit. To be led and guided by you in all things. To be empowered by you in all things. Let us take it as a journey together. Even though it's difficult at times, you use it to grow us to transform us and change us. And it's a journey that is beautiful and full of hope simply because you're with us. Pray that you help us to be anchored in this this season and our lives going forward. In Jesus' name, amen.